say? I need a good whistle, but I don't have a good whistle. I love that we love to fellowship and talk and hang out. We'll get to do that in a little bit again. But first off, I would like everybody right now, just give a big applause. Clap your hands. Woo! All right. That is for yourselves. <laughs> just want to give a big thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of Grady and myself, the elders and deacons and staff. Everybody came out that came out this past Wednesday at Capitol Heights. You guys were amazing. The Gateway Army showed up to serve that school and that community. And we so appreciate you coming and picking up trash and cleaning the gym and praying all over campus and just everything, so many different things, putting together bookshelves and all kinds of stuff. You guys were amazing. And uh, largest turnout we ever had out of all the years we've been doing that. And you guys were just so faithful and uh, it was just a wonderful time in the Lord together. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Got a few things we want to remind everybody of. Uh, kicking off this Wednesday, we're very excited to get back into our Wednesday schedule for the fall. Uh, we are going to kick off this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, Kids Club's going to meet, going through the Gospel Project. The teenagers will still be meeting. We'll kick off at 6 with Rec in the gym. And then for the adults, we have one men's study and two ladies, just as a reminder. The men, you will be doing the book Family Shepherds, led by Grady and uh, William Fox, one of our elders. And ladies, you will have two options. Uh, Trish Butterfield is leading a Bible study um, from Lifeway called Elijah, so on Elijah study. And then Karen Fowler will be leading one uh, precept study called The Power of Knowing God. And just as we mentioned last week, as far as precepts, this is one with no homework. And Karen's like, woohoo. So uh, no homework. Precepts can get a little intense. But so anyway, those are your two options, ladies, to pray about. Elijah and the power of knowing God. And for you men, uh, family shepherds. One special thing to note uh, this coming Wednesday uh, will be for the adult a pizza dinner for this specific first week um, to introduce each other, kind of have some time of fellowship. You'll get your books that night. So if you get here at 6, there will be pizza uh, available for you all to enjoy together. And the teenagers get pizza every week, so they're spoiled, and uh, we'll still have it. So, so that's for this Wednesday. Very excited about that kicking off. And all that information is um, under the news and events on our bl uh, blog on uh, gatewaybaptist.com. Two weeks from today, Sunday, uh, August 21st, directly after church, uh, it's a time we call Discover Gateway, and it's a lunch and a class to kind of get to know who we are. If you've been visiting, want to get to know a little bit more about our DNA, who we are as a church, our leadership model, etc. cetera, uh, that will be available. You go to Pastor Grady and Julia's house uh, for a wonderful lunch and a time to fellowship together and hear a little bit more about us. Uh, that's the first step toward membership. There's no requirement after that that you have to, but it's the first way just to kind of get to know who we are. And really looking forward to this. Two opportunities uh, for a couple Saturdays coming up for men and women. First off, there's a precepts training for women this Saturday, August 13th at 9 a.m. here in the sanctuary. It'll be three hours to help you grow in studying scripture. Uh, details and registration are on the website. So this Saturday right here, uh, precepts training time for the ladies. And we're very excited to announce this. Just a video we're going to show to introduce something for us men to be a part of. What does it mean to be a man of faith? Enough of Christian, macho, strong man, bully definition of what it means to be a Christian man. It's not the masculinity 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't need to be afraid of taking an honest look at ourselves because of what Jesus has done. You know what marks us out is not that we live by faith. Everyone lives by faith. Everyone does. What marks us out is the object of our faith. And so what does it mean to have God as the central object of your faith, the central focus of your hope? What does it look like to get your identity from Him, your security from Him, your inner sense of well-being from Him? Does God have your heart? Is He the reason you treat your wife the way you do? Is He the reason you respond to your children the way you do? The reason you look at what you look at on your computer or your phone? The reason you spend your money the way you do? The reason you respond to your neighbors the way you do? He is your longing. He is your thought. He is your peace. He is your hope. He has your heart. <laughs> now, we are very, very excited about this opportunity. Uh, August 27th, a couple Saturdays away at 9 a.m. Uh, man, we would love for you to be here with us starting at 9, three hours. Uh, we're going to have uh, three sessions and small groups following each session. Um, obviously, it's single men, married men, uh, teenage boys, dads, bring your boys. Uh, just a wonderful time of fellowship, um, of, of just this men of faith. It's a simulcast. Obviously, we're going to have the DVDs. Uh, Paul David Tripp is the one that you saw. We're so excited about this, just to get together and encourage one another in a time. And then after the conference at the end, we will have a lunch together, a fellowship. So uh, we wanted to give you a little few weeks notice so the ladies can plan uh, with children and all that for child care and just for the sake of the men to be able to come together. Very, very excited about that time together. All right, saints, let's stand and prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning. Reading here from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 46, verses 8 through 11. This is a passage I go to many times just for encouragement, knowing our God is in control and he is sovereign over all things. And he is to be trusted because he is faithful. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Whether it's calling a bird of prey from the east or a man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Let's worship the one true God this morning.
next song we're going to sing is written out of Psalm 93. I just want us as a church to read this together. The, ly the, the lyrics, the verses will be on the uh, screen so we can read this together. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their glory. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. 
decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Amen. 
Father, we are grateful that we get to sing your praises, that we know you are our Savior. Yet even as we sing that and that longing for the day when every people will know that you are the Lord, we are reminded that all over this world are people who've never even heard of the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would have broken hearts over that. Lord, we so take for granted the grace that has been brought to us, that we have your word, that people have explained the gospel to us, that we can sing freely and shout your praises without even giving it a second thought. Yeah, there's people around the world who've never had this opportunity. And so Lord, I thank you that you're calling us to make you known among the unreached peoples of the world. Lord, I pray that what we've just sung will be the cry of our heart. Lord, that we would want to be worshiping you and praising you every day of our life. And Lord, we'd be wanting to make you known to those who do not yet know. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. That's a fitting song as we think about mission partners and who we work with here at Gateway, and we're thankful to get opportunities to give you updates on what some of our missionary friends are doing around the world. So Taylor, come on up. This is Taylor and Sarah Fox and their kids, and Taylor and Sarah are serving in France, and so we asked Taylor now that they're back in the States for a few weeks to come give you an update of what God's doing in their lives and their ministry in France. There we are. So um, my name is Taylor, and my wife, as Grady mentioned, is Sarah. We have our kids... Samuel, and then Lydia, and then um, Elias was in the womb when this picture was taken, and so we've included him on the side. Family picture, I think, is today. Um, so we are, been, been, I mean, I, my history with Gateway has gone back really far. I think we have a picture that includes how far back. Go back, go forward one, and you'll see something real quick. This one. So this was 2003 when my family, we started going to church here. You guys probably know my dad, who's a uh, um, who's, who's an elder, I believe. Um, last time I checked. Then Alex, and Rachel, and then Ellie's not paying attention. Um, no comment there. So we'll go back. So Sarah, myself, uh, our family, the Fox family, we call ourselves the French Foxes. We live in Strasbourg, which is right on the border of Germany. Um, I go shopping in Germany, and we do ministry in Strasbourg. Groceries are cheaper in Germany. Um, and so we've been in Strasbourg for about eight years now, um, and I moved there right after we got married. So what we do in Strasbourg is, um, there might be a couple of you who are familiar with the name The Navigators. They're also, it's a collegiate ministry that's also in the United States. My parents did um, The Navigators at Auburn, and then I ended up going to France and discovering that The Navigators were also there. Um, we'll go forward two more slides. Yeah, there we are. So we do student ministry, and I want to real quick give you a small little picture of France. France is a country that has a very, very long history with Christianity. Um, the majority of the people in the country would call themselves Catholic, um, would also call themselves atheist. <laughs> in a weird way, you'd say culturally Catholic. You could say culturally Baptist or culturally Christian. But if, they, if you ask them what they really believe, they'd say functionally atheist. They don't really view that there's a God. 
Um, and I would say that that's not necessarily exclusively to France, but to more of the new, the new, the new ways of thinking as we move forward is God kind of moves into the, into the foreground to the point where he's not a part of our daily life. And I think that's something that's not very important to us. And, and it's kind of an intrusion into our being God if we have a God that exists that's bigger than us. Um, so our ministry is with college students. And, and one of the ways, I'd say French people are very afraid of anything that doesn't look Catholic. They're, they, especially if you're an American going over doing ministry, because they're afraid of, uh, let's say, um, cults. They're afraid of um, things that are going to make them go crazy and give all their money or drink Kool-Aid. Um, and so the ministry we do is largely rooted in a hospitality ministry. So you see us sitting around the table. And the idea is when you sit down at the table with you, when you break bread and when you share very much like communion, you share of the same drink, you share of the same food. There's a, there's a trust that's built. We're real people. We're not just going to talk about Jesus. We're, we're inviting them into our life, our home. And then when we sit down around the table afterwards, we open up the word and we eat, you could say, spiritually. And for a lot of these people that we're sitting down with, um, a lot of them are culturally Catholic, culturally Catholic. And we're not trying to change that so much as we're trying to invite people into the word and help people learn how to pray, learn how people to walk alongside other people. Um, as they grow up in Christ as well. And a lot of these people end up going back into the Catholic Church and, just, and becoming, you could say, the leaders of little ministries or being people who serve in the church as uh, the people who take care of the children or run the youth program. Um, because in a large sense, maybe this is true here, but in France, there's a, large, there's a lot of people who don't want to commit to anything, who don't want to serve, who don't want to show up, who want to say, I'll just, I'll just show up if I want to, if I'm interested. And so our, our desire is to really accompany these people um, and with the hope that they're going to go back into their own churches and be have a heart to serve, but also be able to walk with people as they grow up in their faith and introduce them to the Bible. And I think a lot of people, maybe some here as well, we feel like we can read the Bible, we can pray, uh, but I'm not sure if I could do that with somebody else. I don't know if I have anything to give. And I think taking that step of walking with other people is really important. So that's what we're hoping to do. And so it's a discipleship ministry. Um, and a lot of dishwashing, eating, very hospitality ministry. This year, we, we just got a house. We have five, I think, five bedrooms. Um, and so our hope is to have people come to our home, be able to stay longer, um, maybe some people to stay and come live with us. The goal is to really bring them into our family life um, and, and to really show how Jesus is not just a one meal type of event, but more of a life as well. So we don't know what that'll look like yet, but we're excited about that. Um, if you guys would like to be how can you guys be involved? Well, first, Gateway is our sending church um, since we left all those years ago, eight years ago. And I would say in large part, Gateway has invested in my life and our family's life even since I was, I was over here sitting when I was 11 or 12 years old. Um, and I'm thinking there's children here that are probably in a way, maybe in 10 years or 15 years, who might be on the mission field as well. So I'm not necessarily exceptional. I think God can do God can send people all over the world who are sitting in this room right now that we're not even necessarily aware of, or that person might not be aware of, of them, being, them being sent. So first, I want to say thank you to Gateway for your, your prayers, your encouragement, for the times you've prayed in service for us, um, for your hospitality, inviting us over. Um, I would invite you to continue to be praying for us as we start a new ministry with a home in a sense of a bigger space, a lot more space to welcome people. Um, and for the people that we're investing in, we really are hoping that we have people who are willing to say yes to commit to running, to running groups and serving and, and walking alongside other people who are willing to say yes to that challenging moment of, I don't know if I have anything to give, and I don't know if I have 
if I'm spiritually mature enough to do that. So we're praying that God would bring us people. Um, if you would like to connect, we're still here for two more weeks. Um, after this service, we have a family thing, so we're not going to stick around for really long today. But on the 21st of, let's say August, yeah, 21st of August, we'll be inviting all of you to come have flat foods with the foxes, which is basically pizza and French crepes. I thought it sounded better than pizza and crepes with the foxes. So flat food with the foxes after church. Um, and if you'd like to see us for another moment, feel free to stick afterwards and ask, and maybe we can find a time for coffee or to come over and to spend time with the family. So um, thank you so much. We'd love to connect. And uh, thank you guys for being our supporting church. Thank you, Taylor. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for Taylor and Sarah. Thank you, Lord, just seeing him grow up in this community, faith family here, Lord, and now seeing them on mission for you, Lord, and hearing just the amazing things you're doing in that place through their ministry, through their lives, through sacrificing their time. And God, we just pray you continue to bless them, continue to protect them, continue to provide for them. Lord, thank you so much for your provision of the home. Um, Lord, I know that it's going to be a place where God's presence is felt and experienced. And we just pray, Lord, you provide uh, help and volunteers and others to come alongside them continually, Lord, to uh, bless those in that community to just, as I say, break bread together and share life together in Christ. And we thank you that the kingdom is advancing in Strasbourg. It is. God is moving. And we thank you for their heart and their compassion for the people there. And continue, Lord, to bless their family, the kids, and just continue, God, to open many, many doors for the sake of the gospel so that it would go forth and bring honor and glory to your name. Amen, Lord, we thank you, and thank you for the opportunity the next couple of weeks for folks to get with them. We pray for connection points and that relationships can be built. And, Lord, we do thank you for what you're doing here at Gateway. We thank you this week, Lord, that uh, the kids are heading back to school and getting back in the fall schedule of things, Lord, for young kids, for youth, for college students. God, we just pray as you prepare families and parents and hearts and kids uh, to go back, God, just... Um, we pray for resources, we pray for patience, we pray for um, just wisdom and discernment in so many different areas of scheduling and preparation, and um, God, we just know you have so much in store for this school year in so many facets, and we just pray, God, your blessing upon each one, and wisdom is, uh, especially teenagers and college students are preparing for different courses and having to register and all that's involved, uh, but we also pray, God, that each one recognizes those are going to a campus specifically uh, that they're on mission and they have an opportunity to be salt and light and your ambassadors on their campuses. And uh, we just pray you give them divine appointments and opportunities uh, to share their faith, to live out their faith. And uh, we just thank you for what you're doing among the families and those here at Gateway. And Lord, we love the opportunity to continue to pray for those, our extended family here in Montgomery. And so this morning, Lord, we lift up Pastor Jay Joy and those at Young Meadows Presbyterian Church right up the road here on Vaughn Road. And Lord, we know we just got back off sabbatical. And I just pray, Lord, that you had a time of rest and a time to be with his family and to enjoy your presence. And Lord, we just pray you just fill him afresh this morning as he's bringing your word, um, as he's shepherding that flock. God, give him wisdom and discernment and strength. Continue, Lord, just a renewed vigor for uh, vision for Young Meadows and what you desire to do there in and through that fellowship. 
Uh, we thank you for those that are under his care and the leadership there, God. We just pray that your kingdom come and your will be done uh, through that congregation this morning. Lord, we thank you for your provision. You're a good God. We are so blessed. Uh, we thank you for those that have given online today or given this morning in the back. And we just pray you bless our resources, bless our finances, God, for the sake of their kingdom, to advance the gospel in our community and things that you're doing here uh, as a part of our Gateway family. And we just thank you so much. And God, thank you for our pastor. We thank you for our shepherd, Grady. Thank you, Lord, for his heart and his love for us, to love us, to serve us, to protect us, to feed us your word. Um, I, I watch him every week, Lord. He's so, so faithful to dig into your word, to study and to glean from you so we in turn can hear from you. And we just pray you bless him this morning. Just encourage him, strengthen him as he brings your word. God, we love you. We praise you. God, I pray we never take for granted the fact that we can be in this room this morning every week as a faith family to worship the name of Jesus. Where many nations right now, people are being persecuted or they're hiding out in a cave or in the hills and can't do this publicly or in this type of a setting. Maybe be excited and grateful, God, that we can gather together to worship the one true God, the King of Kings, as we declared this morning, our King Jesus. And we love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In first to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So all the current first to fourth graders, that is a new group, a big new group that's just moved up to first grade. You're headed with Mr. Tom and Miss Jennifer. You guys have fun with the new kids coming up this morning. And they're still going. <laughs> well, find First Peter chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word, Gateway Family. First Peter chapter 1. Now, as you're finding it, I want to ask you a question this morning. If you think about the last week, the past seven days, how much did you think about the grace of God? Now, there's not anything for you to turn in. It's not a homework assignment. You're not being graded on this. But be honest with yourself. As you think about what's consumed your thoughts and your mind over the last week, how much have you thought about the grace of God? How much has your mind focused on God and His grace? You know, over the past six weeks in the beginning of our study here on 1 Peter, we've been seeing a lot about the grace of God. And the greeting and then the introduction that follows, we've seen all about God's kindness to us, all the undeserved blessings that He has poured out into our lives, especially in our salvation. Just to remind you in verses 1 through 12, Peter's reminded us that even though we are exiles, even though we're strangers in the world and different, we see God's grace because we're the chosen people of God. He has pursued us. Even though life is hard, we see God's grace because he gives us the amazing promise of eternity with him when we are free of those trials. Even though we have hardships in this life, we see God's grace in the fact that he redeems those hardships to grow and sanctify and purify our faith. Even though we cannot see God with our physical eyes, we see God's grace that he's put within our heart, a love for him, a trust in him, a joy in him. And we saw finally last week that Peter was trying to awaken us to the wonder of this grace that is ours by reminding us that the Old Testament prophets longed to experience what you and I take for granted in knowing God through his grace. And that the angels long to watch us, that we've been watched this week by angelic beings who are marveling at the fact that we can know God because of his grace. We've seen through these first 12 verses of 1 Peter, the grace of God on full display. And again, the question for us is, have we thought about God's grace throughout this week? 
Now, with that foundation in place, we come to chapter 1, verse 13 this morning. This begins a new section of Peter's writing here. This is where Peter actually begins the body of his letter. And there's going to be many sections as we go through this letter this year. But this first section is how he shows us how we respond to the grace of God. It's a very fitting, natural way to follow to everything he's laid out in these 12 verses about the grace of God. Is now, how do we respond to it? Because we've mentioned over and over here, God's grace not only saves us, God's grace transforms us as well. So Peter begins to show us here how the grace of God is going to transform us. Up until this point, there have been no commands. It's just been descriptions for us to help us get the big picture of what God's grace is like in our lives. But here in verse 13, we get the very first command, the first imperative of the letter, and many more are going to follow to show us how the grace of God transforms and changes, how we respond to that. But the one we come to this morning in verse 13 is foundational, friends. Of all the places that he could start, he starts here because if we miss this command, if we miss this response to the grace of God that pursues us, we will miss most of the others as well. And so where does he start? He starts with our minds, with our thoughts. Of all the places Peter could start and show us how we respond to the grace of God, he begins with our minds, with our thoughts, what we focus on. So again, the question, how much did you and I think about the grace of God over the past week is a fitting question as Peter begins to show us how we are to be thinking as people who have received God's grace. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, looking for the very first command of the letter and what it has to do with our thinking. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the unchanging word of God? We'll also have it on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is living and active. Thank you that you pursue us with your word and you show us who you are and you show us who we are and you change us. And so we ask your Holy Spirit would come open our eyes to the wonders of this verse today, that you would use this verse to change us and to sanctify us and grow us to be more like you desire us to be. So have your way, Lord. Use your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here's what I want you to see this morning. I want to go and give you the main idea of this text, and we'll unpack this together today. Here's the first command, the first big idea as we start the body of this letter. Here it is. God calls us to discipline our minds to focus on him and his grace. God's calling us here. This is the command from the Lord, but it's an invitation. It's a calling from God to discipline our minds, to intentionally focus our minds on him and on his grace. Now, again, we want to be clear here. This is not what we do to get to God. This is not what we do to try to earn God's grace. God's grace is undeserved. God's grace is not earned. It is unmerited. This is nothing we're doing to try to make God happy with us. This is because we have received the grace of God. This is what God enables us to do. This is what God is calling us to do and gives us the strength to do. So as we work through this, friends, this is not something that we can just muster up the effort to try hard enough to do. This is something that God changes us to be like as his grace works in us. And it's particularly starting with disciplining our minds, focusing our minds to think about him and his grace. Now, friends, we need this. It's a fitting place for Peter to start because the reality is if your mind is like my mind, it stays distracted a lot. We are a very distracted people. So much competes for our attention. Our phones are dinging all day long. Our emails are popping up. There's media everywhere we turn. There's billboards everywhere we turn. We are being inundated with information and with things that are vying for our attention and our mental process. We are a distracted people. And friends, if we are not intentional about it, we can go through a week with almost no thought of the grace of God. 
We can go through the week with our minds barely focusing on the thing that angels are staring at and marveling. The Old Testament prophets long to see that is now our experience in Christ. And we can walk through the week and barely give it a thought because our minds are so distracted. So God calls us to discipline our minds to focus on him and on his grace. Now, to see this in this text, to understand this command, this call from God, there's two things we need to understand about this text for this to make sense and us to be able to apply it to our lives before we even get to the command. Number one, this command flows from grace. We cannot separate this command from our understanding of grace. Notice how verse 13 begins. Go back to verse 13. This first word here is so important, therefore. He is not introducing a new concept here for us. He's building on everything he's shown us in the previous 12 verses about how God has pursued us with his grace. God has given us his grace. God has given us this amazing salvation. Therefore, we now find the strength from his grace to do this in response, not to get to him, but because he's already made us different. Friends, if we miss the therefore here, what follows becomes a burden instead of a joy. What we're going to see this morning should be a joy. It should be something that brings us delight, that God is inviting us to focus our minds on him. But if we miss the therefore, if we try to do this apart from understanding who we are as the elect people of God, these strangers in the world, if we don't understand that first, this command will be a burden and not a joy. So number one, this command flows from grace. We must keep that in view with us. But number two, we need to understand there's only actually one command here. If you look at the English here, it almost looks like there's three commands. You can look at this text and be like, okay, we're supposed to prepare our minds, we're supposed to be sober-minded, and we're set our hope fully. There's actually only one imperative here, only one command, and that is actually this third phrase, set your hope fully. That's the only command in this verse. What comes before that in those previous two are participles. Again, here's our little English lesson here. They support the verb. They explain how it happens. In the Greek, these are what are called instrumental participles. They tell you how you do what the command is. So there's only one command, set your hope fully on grace. And then these two phrases before it tell you how to go about doing that command. So you can more literally read in English today, verse 13 would say, therefore, set your hope fully on grace by preparing your minds for action and by being sober-minded. So the command, the force, the emphasis of this text is set your hope fully on grace. Now, let's, with, that, with that in view, knowing this flows from grace and knowing what the command is, let's start here with this command, that third phrase here, to see what God is calling us to do here. He's calling us to focus our minds on something. Why? Friends, because the battle to either walk with God or follow the world is going to be won or lost in our minds. Please don't miss that. We are constantly in a pull to either follow God or follow our flesh, follow the world, follow the enemy. That battle is daily won or lost by us in our minds. So this is so foundational to everything else that's going to follow. In the weeks to come, you're going to see in these next verses this call to pursue holiness and this call to have godly fear and this call to love one another well. All these other commands start with this command because those other commands require us to think rightly about who God is and about his grace. Now, if you were with us several weeks ago, I used kind of a silly analogy. I talked about a step stool. If you remember, I had a step stool in our closet so I can get up to all of our Kleenex and paper towels and all my backpacking supplies up there. And normally, I just grab it and it's on a solid foundation on the floor and I can get what I need. But I told you sometimes we have Timothy has a mattress in there to take naps during the day. And there was one day that I tried to put the step stool on the mattress to get to the stuff on top and... It didn't go well because it wasn't on a solid foundation. It's important what we build on, and that still carries through here. This command is first because it's the foundation. If we get this wrong, all the other things that come in the weeks to come on holiness and fearing God are going to be on the wrong foundation. The battle is won or lost in the minds, and so therefore the first command Peter gives us has to do with what we are and are not thinking about. Everything else will crumble if we're not thinking 
correctly. The battles won or lost in our minds. So look at this command here. Verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace. Now let's just stop right there. Our command is to, about hope, is setting our hope. Now this should sound familiar because if you remember back to verse 3 a few weeks ago, we talked about the living hope we have. And I told you several weeks ago that hope in Scripture is not a feeling. It's not this subjective thing. Well, I hope things are going to be better. I hope my team is going to win. Hope in Scripture is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation. It's the confidence in what is to come. Therefore, hope in Scripture has everything to do with our thoughts and how we are thinking, not just some subjective feeling that we have. It's about our mind. So this command here has to do with how we are thinking. Set your hope fully on grace. We are told here to discipline our thinking, to set, to direct, to focus our thoughts onto something. And what are we to think about? He says here in verse 13, we are to think about and focus our minds on grace, on God's grace. Friends, we've seen this throughout the previous 12 verses. God's grace to us is so rich. We saw that it's his justification of us. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. That His grace is what he's already given to us. But we saw just a few weeks ago as well that his grace is what he is doing for us now. Our sanctification, how he's increasing our love for him, how he's increasing our faith and trust in him, how he's increasing our joy in him. And so we're experiencing God's grace even this week as he is growing us as well. But Peter loves to focus on the future aspect of God's grace that we've not fully experienced yet. He keeps loving to point us to glorification. Because remember, he's writing to people who are suffering great hardships, who are alienated, who are struggling, who are cut off, who have all sorts of difficulties as they're living in Asia Minor. So he loves to point them not just to the grace they've already experienced, and the grace they're experiencing now. He's reminding them of the grace that is still to come when they are glorified one day. You see that here in verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace, here it is, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation here is his second coming, his return. This is the grace that is still to be experienced by us when we get to see God face to face with unveiled faces. We get to sit, have, be in a place where there's no more temptation ever again and no more sin, where we have no more tears and sadness and grief and sorrows, where we get resurrection bodies with no more pain, no more aches, no more blurry eyesight, no more whatever, where we get to experience God and his creation for perfection for all eternity. We do not experience that fullness of grace yet, but that is coming for us. So Peter says, take time to focus your mind, to discipline your mind, to think about the grace of God, the grace you already have, the grace you're experiencing now, and the grace that is still to come in the future. God's calling us to discipline our minds to think about that. But how do we do that? How do we discipline our minds in a very undisciplined age of all these distractions to focus on the grace that is still to come, the grace we have now, and the grace that we've already experienced? This is where I love what Peter does with this text. He doesn't just say, just go do it, try harder. He gives us two very practical ways that we can discipline our minds to remember this. And how do we discipline our minds on this? Well, think about it from a sports perspective. If you follow different sports or play different sports, you have an offense and a defense, right? One is responsible for getting the ball down the field and one is to stop the other team from pushing back against you. The two things that Peter tells us to do here, one is offensive, it's things we do to move forward. One is defensive so that we don't get pushed back and the enemy score on us. And if you follow different sports teams, CJ should probably be doing this analogy, not me, because he's much more of a sports person than I am. But as you follow different teams over the years, you'll see teams that may have a great offense, but they get obliterated and lose the game. Why? Because their defense can't stop the other team from scoring. Or 
as I've seen many years watching Auburn football, you may have a team with a great defense, and you can stop the other team from scoring, but you can never get down the field past the 50-yard line to be able to get some points, and so you end up losing the game either way. The point is, if you don't have a strong offense and a strong defense, you're not going to win the game. Peter gives us something proactive to do, offensively to do, and Peter gives us something defensive to do. Here, friends, if we neglect either one of these, we set ourselves up for failure, which affects everything else to come. So it's important for us to be pursuing both of the ways to discipline our minds that Peter shows us here. So what are the two ways that we can discipline our minds to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ? The number one, the first one, is intentionally study the Word of God. It is to intentionally study the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God. This is the offense, if you will. This is the, how you move the ball down the field. You may be thinking, Grady, I just read verse 13. I don't see anything here about reading the Bible. Where is that here? Well, it was hidden in an image in the beginning of verse 13. Look at this first phrase. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Now, if you have, a, if you have an ESV like I have, there's a little footnote next to it. And they have a different phrase at the bottom because preparing your minds for action is not what the Greek text actually says here. The translators are trying to be helpful for us. And so they paraphrased and they kind of translated an image that Peter originally used. It literally says here, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, the reason they changed that to preparing your minds for action is because none of us know what it means to gird something up. None of us understand what loins are, and none of us much less know how to apply girding up your loins to how you think. That makes absolutely no sense to us. So the translators are being nice to us and say, prepare your minds for action. But in doing so, it loses the power, the imagery that Peter intends for us to have here. So how do we set our hope fully on the grace of God? How do we set our minds on Christ and who he is and his grace? We gird up the loins of our mind. Now, what does that mean? Now, to help us understand it, I want to show you two places this phrase is used in the Old Testament to help you get what it means to gird up your loins. 1 Kings 18, 46. First, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And here it is. He gathered up his garment. He girded up his loins. And he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So for him to be able to run, he had to gird up his loins. He had to gather up his long flowing garment. We see it also in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophet and said to him, Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand. So for this guy to be able to go, he had to tie up his long flowing garment. Garments. So what then does that mean in light of that to gird up your loins? Well, in studying it this week, I came across an image that helped me finally make sense of this phrase. So I think we've got it there, Kate, if you put up the image of how you gird up your loins, okay? This is what it is. I know this looks funny, but this is the, the God-inspired image that Peter gave us. So if we're going to understand the original text, we need to understand this image. So in the Old Testament, even New Testament times, men wore long flowing robes like this, Right? It was cool. It was comfortable. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't keep the room 70 degrees like we do. You know, they, they didn't have AC, so they wore these long flowing robes to help them be able to walk and to do whatever else they were doing and not die of heat exhaustion. But when they needed to fight, run, do hard work, those long flowing tunics and robes would get in their way. You couldn't garden with a long robe going around. You couldn't run with that because you would trip. So you would gird up your loins. What you would do is you would grab the middle of your tunic up, number two there, number three, you gather all the excess up front, and then you pull it through like a diaper. That's literally what they would do. They pull the excess, cloak through, and then they would tie it around their waist. So he turned his long robe into something that looked like a diaper, right? But when he did that, notice he can now run, he can now fight, he can now do whatever he needs to do because the garments are not in the way. So throughout Scripture, it says pull up your garments or tie up your garments or, or to do the phrase gird up your loins. It's an expression that maybe we communicate in our day, roll up your shirt sleeve, it's time to get to work. 
That's the image that Peter is conveying. So the original readers would hear, gird up the loins of your mind. And they would hear what we'd hear, roll up your sleeve. We're about to get dirty and get to work here. What does that have to do then with our minds? Why is Peter saying, gird up the loins of your mind? We'll go back to verse 13 for us this morning. We're called to set our hope fully on the grace. And we do that by girding up the loins of your mind. He's saying, get ready for action. When a guy would gird up his loins, he was ready to run. He was ready to fight in battle. He was ready to do whatever he needed to do. He was not sitting by passive being like, yeah, hope some work's going to come to me. He was intentionally getting himself ready to do whatever task needed to be done. And that is the image that that Peter wants us to have is that if we are going to set our hope on Christ, it's not going to happen if we just sit around passively hoping our minds wander and it's thought we're going to have to be as intentional as the guy who girds up his loins getting ready to fight. And what do we do to gird up the loins of our mind now? Well, we get the answer in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14. Ephesians chapter 6, this beautiful text of the armor of God and what it looks like to follow God. We're told to stand there for having fastened on, notice this, the belt of truth. The belt, the belt was what was necessary to hold up, the, to gird up your loins. You had to have the belt to tuck all that stuff through and tie it off so you could run. And what holds it in place is truth, the belt of truth. And so what he's calling us to, if you go back to verse 13 here, is to preparing our minds for action, to gird up the loins of your mind by studying the truth, friends. And what is the truth? The truth is the Word of God, His self-revelation. So this image here for us of how we set our hope on the grace of God is the imagery of the Old Testament people girding up their loins, ready to work or fight. Or perhaps you could think of it today as the athletes who discipline themselves to eat a certain diet and do a very regimented training routine and doing all these things so they're ready to compete. He's saying, believer, if you want to hope in Christ, if you want God's grace to transform you, you're not going to get that just sitting around passive. You need to be ready to pursue God. And you pursue God by running after the truth. You run after the word of God. His point is we're not going to accidentally fall into learning more of God's grace. He's calling us to focus on it, to study it with intentionality. And friends, that takes more than Sunday mornings. That's why we so want you to move beyond just coming to worship service and plugging into a small group, whether it's a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night study or a life room homes. Plug in somewhere where you're exposing yourself to discussing the Word of God beyond Sunday mornings. That's why we want you and your families to be having family devotions and family worship. That's why we want you to be talking about the Word and having devotional times every day as you're exposing yourself to the Word of God. That's why we so want this to be our priority as a church corporately and individually. How do we know more of God's grace? We prepare our minds for action. We gird up our loins. We study the scripture with intentionality all week long. So back to my opening question. How much did each of us think about the grace of God this week? My guess is, we're not going to do a survey, but my guess is if we did a survey, there'd be a pretty close link between how much time we spent discussing the word of God with friends, the amount of time we spent studying the word of God on our own, and how much we thought about the grace of God. The more we're in scripture, the more we will think about the grace of God. God calls us to discipline our minds, to focus on him and to focus on his grace, so we study the scriptures. That's the offensive part. Like I mentioned earlier, to win a game, you have to have a strong offense and a strong defense as well. So the second thing that Peter tells us to do, and this is the defensive step to make sure we don't get obliterated by the other team. So what's the second thing we do? We need to consider what dulls us to the grace of God. We need to take time to consider what it is that dulls us to thinking about and remembering the grace of God. Consider what dulls us to the grace of God. Look at verse 13 here again. 
And notice this word here in the middle of the command, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully, completely. The word means to be undivided. Set your undivided focus and hope on God's grace. Friends, that means there is a real temptation and a real danger that we may not be fully hoping in God's grace. And there's a real danger in having a divided mind where we're not focusing on God as we should. That means there's a real danger of you and I as believers being undisciplined in our minds and not dwelling on God and thinking on him like he calls us to do. Now, where do we see that here? This is the second phrase, that second participle here in verse 13. And it's this phrase that says, and being sober-minded. Now, again, the Greek te- the translators have tried to help us out here. They added a word that was not in the original. The word minded is not here. Peter literally says, be sober. He doesn't say be sober-minded. He says to be sober. Now, again, the translators are helping us because this is obviously all about the mind, preparing your minds for action, setting your hope fully. So they tried to clarify for us. But I think they lost a little bit of the image that Peter intended. I think Peter's helping us think through what happens when a person is drunk versus sober. Now, think about it. When a person gets drunk, what happens? They lose the ability to think correctly, right? They do crazy things. They say crazy things. They lose all inhibition, and they're dulled to reality. They are dulled to what's really going on. They're dulled in their senses. And I think Peter's trying to bring out that imagery to say to us, you can be that way spiritually. You may think you know God and you're walking by, but you are spiritually drunk. You are so dull to reality, and you're so dull to what's going on, and you're doing crazy, stupid things you don't realize you're doing because you're drunk to what God has said you're supposed to do. That's the image he is trying to pull for us. Tom Schreiner, who's a great New Testament theologian, said, there is a way of living that becomes dull to the reality of God. And I'm like, wow, there's a way of living that can become dull to the reality of God. Of God, He says, is a way that is anesthetized by the attraction of the world. That we can almost be like under anesthesia where we're, by the attraction of the world to where we're dull to God. And Jesus warns us about that. He warns about this in the parable, the seeds and the sower. Luke chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. This is a text that I'm longing to preach one day. It's a fun text. A sower went out to sow his seed. This, by the way, the sower, is, the sower is people sharing the gospel here. And the seed is the word of God, the gospel. So as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Verse 6. And some fell on the rocks, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns. Now, this is the image we need to stick with today. And the thorns grew up, grew up with it and choked it. Now, one more. Verse 8. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things. He who called out, he who has ears to hear let him hear. Now, the disciples don't understand this imagery of what Jesus is saying, so they ask him about it. And go a few verses ahead to Luke chapter 8, verse 14. As Jesus explains to the disciples what the parable means, he says, as for the seed, and this is the gospel, that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And the fruit does not mature. There's a possibility of us hearing the gospel. Oh, yeah, I believe this. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Even being excited about it. But we're choked out in that. We're dulled to it all, to the wonders of the grace that the prophets long for, the angels look at. We're dulled to it because it's choked out by cares, riches, and the pleasure of this life. And the fruit does not mature. That is the image that Peter's warning us about here. If you go back to verse 13, he says, being sober, being sober, mounting he's saying, don't let anything in your life choke out your awareness of God's grace. Don't let anything dull you to pondering and wondering at the grace of God. Instead, be sober. 
Now, again, the contrast, when a person is sober, he or she can evaluate things correctly. A sober person understands the situation. A sober person understands his or her limits. A sober person understands what is coming after them. They understand that. And he says, spiritually, that's what you're to be like. You're to be spiritually sober so you can see God for who he really is. You can see the beauty that God has before you. You can see the temptations and the lies for what they are so you do not fall to them. So the question for us in light of that is, how much did we think about the grace of God this last week? So maybe the better question then is, what dulled us to thinking about the grace of God? What is it that causes us to be dull to the wonders of who God is? Friends, it could be a lot. For some, it's a relationship that you're in, and that relationship is dulling you to the grace of God because it's pulling you not to the Lord, but away from the Lord. For some, and perhaps for many, it's some type of online addiction. I can't help but wonder how Facebook and Instagram and all these things dull us to the grace of God. It may be reading the news and the political blogs. It may be some game you have on your phone. It can be your work, your job. It can be desires for money and success. There's so many things that are not even necessarily bad things, but they become priority to us and they dull us to the grace of God in our lives. Friends, what is it that has dulled us this week to seeing the glory of God's grace and wanting to know more of it? And just remind us, whatever that is in your life and mine, is not some harmless little thing if it's dulling us to the grace of God. A few chapters later in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, notice what Peter says here. It's a very similar image. Be sober-minded. Again, he's pulling the same image for us. He says, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Friends, we need to let that verse sink in, and we'll get to that one in a few months here. But the reality is these things that dull us to the grace of God are not some harmless, trivial things. If Facebook is dulling us to the grace of God, then it's become a tool of the enemy to try to devour us. If our obsession with our jobs and getting ahead and getting next promotion is dulling us to the grace of God, it's something that now is in Satan's hands to try to keep us from being who we're supposed to be in Christ. Even good things can get into the hands of Satan and become something he uses to devour us if it dulls us to the grace of God. Friends, what dulls God's grace to me? What dulls God's grace to you? Whatever it is, we must rid it from our lives. But the reality is for us is I have blind spots and you have blind spots. And this may be a hard question for us to answer on our own. We think about, well, I haven't really focused on God's grace this week like I should, but why not? You know, one of the best ways to find out what it is is to ask people who know you well. So I give you something that maybe sound a little bit crazy. Why don't you go ask your spouse, your roommate, or your friend, hey, look at my life and be honest with me. What do you see in my life that dulls me to recognizing the grace of God? So consider doing that this week. Talk to your spouse, talk to parents, talk to your kids. Your kids are very brutally honest. And ask them to be honest. Talk to your roommate. Talk to the person sitting next to you, but find a brother or sister in Christ. You trust us. We can say, look into my life and tell me, what do you see that is dulling me to the grace of God? And then walk together to seek to rid that from your life so you can focus more on God's grace. So let's bring all that back together here. First 12 verses of 1 Peter 1, he's told us how amazing God's grace is. And now the very first command is with our minds, God calls us, God invites us, God commands us to discipline our minds, to focus on him and his grace. God calls us to discipline our minds, to focus on him and on his grace. So practically, friends, offensively, how will you read God's word this week? What book of the Bible are you going to read there? What are you going to do this week to prepare your minds for action, to gird up your loins, to let the word of God feed you? And then defensively this week, friends, what are you going to do to be aware of what's dulling you to the grace of God? And are you willing to put those things aside for the sake of knowing more of God's grace? Friends, let's pray this week that God will let us be a people 
who dwell in his grace, who think about his grace, who ask him for more of his grace, who talk about it with one another, and who challenge each other to grow in the grace of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we are thankful that you use your word to teach us more of who you are and what you desire for our life. Lord, thank you that you've not left us wondering what your will is. But Lord, you made it clear and you've made it plain. This so Lord, as we reflect as a people who've experienced your grace, who've experienced your saving grace, and who get the joy of continuing to experience your transforming grace, Lord, I pray we would be a people who would gird up our loins, who would be sober-minded. But we would do those things, Lord, because we want to set our hope fully on you. Lord, you know how distracted we all are. You know how we struggle to do this. And so, Lord, I pray as we see where we've fallen short, this would not lead us to despair. Lord, I pray it also not lead us just to try hard in our own strength. Lord, I pray instead as we see how far short we fall from focusing our hope fully on your grace, it would lead us to cry out to you and dependence upon you, asking the Holy Spirit to come change our hearts, to change our affections, to change our focus, to change our mind. And God, I pray that none of us would be hesitant to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ and say, help, I'm distracted. I'm not focusing on God like I should. And Lord, I pray you would use these things this week to grow us as a people who love you and love your grace and celebrate it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing about God's grace to close out our service today?
him to increase your thoughts about his grace this week. Lord, you have heard the prayers of your people declaring that you are worthy, you are holy, there is none like you. And Lord, we confess so often we lose sight of that as we get distracted by the cares of this life. So we ask for that glorious grace 
to transform our hearts and our minds this week to where we long to know more of you, where we long to think more of you, to where you fill our minds with thoughts of you all week long. Would you do it this week, Lord? We need you to do it in our lives for our joy and ultimately, Lord, for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a good Sunday. Thank you.